This is the Press Box. Brought out a full mariachi yes. and had like a party on the field. Yeah. Ed Rainey and Adam Candy. For the that. fat toss would still be in the air. The, uh, absolutely. It would still be in the air. Uh, like Manny Machado would have would have gone out to the mound, pulled his pants yes. down, taken a dump on the mound, <laughs> and said, you pitch through this for the rest of the day. On ESPN Las Vegas. wonder if there's a bubble butt involved there. Taking dumps on the mound. What a disaster. Ed Graney, Adam Candy, Jared. Adam, how are you, buddy? I am get excited every time I hear that <laughs> intro. Right? Yeah. It, just, it just takes me back to some of the best stuff you and I have ever yeah, done together, a, Ed. It's a great collaboration. It's a great collaboration, yeah. Dumps, Manny Machado, uh, mounds with the Padres. <laughs> Mariachis. Mariachis. Jared had something. No, 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 no. I was just, I was going to make some sort of like Bischoff not being here joke to the oh, whole. Oh, yeah, that's Yeah, not, no, but I didn't, no. I was like, ooh, that's in bad taste. We're open. Tyler's okay. We sure we are. We sure he is. And he will be back tomorrow. But it's Adam Candy at Graney. Big show ahead. Great guest today. JVT on the NBA at 730. Oh, Millsy Millard. I have checked with Millsy Millard, by the way, because half the time he doesn't even realize, he, realize he's on the show. He said, Jared, I'll be ready at 830. So he's ready to go. J.R. Starkus at 9.30 with another cocktail. I think he's going with the, uh, the um, is it Memorial Day coming up? It is Memorial Day coming up. I normally wait until I see his tweet. I have not seen his tweet yet okay. this morning. So, All right. Well, we're going to start with VGK, so here we go. The First Bite. The Press Box First Bite is brought to you by... The Las Vegas Sports Network.com. Log on and you can stream anything from any of our sports stations. Can Pete DeBoer and Robin Leonard coexist next season? You and I have not talked about this, but I know you're a huge VK, VGK follower. Uh, we, this is the main question. First of all, we're going to get to Pete DeBoer here in a second in terms of if he's still the coach. Nobody's announced that. Nobody knows, but I'm assuming he is. We'll talk to Millard at 830. But this has been a big question in the offseason, Adam. Can he and Robin Leonard coexist? We'll get back into what was said at the end of the season. But just I want your opinion off the top of your head because I know you've thought about it. And these guys were not best friends at the end of the season. And I think if they're both coming back, this is a huge part of what's going to either make them successful or not. Just kind of as a broad angle here, can can coaches and players like this as a main player, a star player, if he, if he's right, coexist if they just don't get along uh, in professional sports? I think we've seen it time and again that they can if they have to. Um, We've all covered enough teams to know that players and coaches getting along isn't a requirement to win. Um, Sometimes the coach is sort of the perfect villain for everyone, right? You can put the coach up there as the one everyone gets together to dislike because I've you can look at teams where you know that when that doesn't happen, then sometimes that team is looking for a villain and it becomes somebody in the locker room. And right. then it becomes someone, there's going to be a target there. So when it comes to Pete DeBoer and Robin Leonard, first of all, how long ago was it that Pete DeBoer was choosing Robin Leonard over Marc-Andre Fleury? It wasn't that long ago. It was basically a year ago that we saw Robin Leonard as a guy who was a preferred option for Pete DeBoer. We know that these two can make it work together, but to to your question more directly, Ed, if we're saying that Pete DeBoer is back next year, which is still a giant shrug emoji, right? Nobody nobody really knows at this point. Nobody knows. 
if we're saying he's back, then that sets up a situation with this question that looks like this. Would you really choose Robin Leonard over Pete DeBoer? I, I don't. I wouldn't. We saw that Logan Thompson is capable of playing a very solid goal for the Vegas Golden Knights, and we know that Pete DeBoer has led this team to the conference finals twice. I, I, I don't understand why Pete DeBoer is still hanging out there. I don't, I don't understand either. why why this team hasn't hasn't done it, Ed. Why they just said, yeah. "Hey, he'll be back," or more importantly, we're extending him for two years. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, and I'm, I'm gathering it doesn't make any sense to you either. No, I'm so with you on this. I don't understand. Now, we've said all along, I guess other than an extension, if you're going to keep him, I don't know if you announce If you announce it, I guess the assumption is, if, let's say if you announce and he's got one year left in his deal and you're not extending him, I guess the insinuation is, well, we were deciding anyway. But at the end of the year press conferences, they made that apparent anyway that they were going to meet, that they were going to discuss things. Pete DeBoer said everyone is evaluated at the end of the year. Kellen McCrimmon certainly didn't give him a vote of confidence. He said Pete is a good coach, uh, but they were in a you know their tough spot with all the injuries. But there's no way the evaluation hasn't been done. There's no way they don't know what they're doing. I don't. I really. I just don't believe Adam that they're sitting around negotiating with someone like Barry Trotz and leaving Pete, you know, hanging out there to see if they can get someone who they perceive to be better. I don't know right now. Put it this way. We said last week, yeah, and I know Barry Trotz, we know well that he won a Stanley Cup. We watched it uh, here in in Vegas. Pete DeBoer has a better playoff record than Barry, Barry Trotz. I didn't understand, and I know he's a really good coach. I get that. But I didn't understand the fascination with a lot of people. Now, fans, completely different. They always want what they perceive to be the next best thing, especially after you don't make the playoffs for the first time in five years. It's always the coach's fault, according to fans. But the reaction to Barry Trotz, to me, was a little laughable. Not that he's not a really good coach. When you look at the numbers and the stats, Pete DeBoer is right there with him. Or, in fact, in the playoffs, he is better than Barry Trotz, other than, obviously, the one Stanley Cup win. That's huge. I get that. That puts like guys in the Hall of Fame. Pete DeBoer took two teams in the Stanley Cup final, didn't get it done. But I am so with you on this. I don't know why this isn't decided. Now, maybe it is. Maybe we don't know, and it's already decided. It has been, what, two weeks. I hope by now they know what they're going to do with the coach. Um, But I I just, I'm so behind what you just said because I think he should come back. I think he's a really good coach. I think they should extend him. I don't know if you want him coaching next year with one year on his deal. Now, he said to us at the end of the year, I've been in this 14 years. I don't really care about contracts. I don't know how true that is. I think everyone cares about security, no matter how long you've been in it. But, again, I'm with you on this. I just don't know why it hasn't been decided he's not the coach of this team. I, I don't get it. For anybody out there, Ed, to, to your point, who's like, well, Pete DeBoer has a contract. He should coach out his contract. That, that's not the way this works. It, teams make these decisions when a coach is heading to the last year of their contract for a reason. You don't leave a coach dangling out there year of their contract because it sends a message to the entire locker room that this guy's a short timer that the first time you hit a losing streak that this guy's going to be gone and if there's any sort of discord among that team in the first place then you're just going to exacerbate that by leaving the coach hanging out there you've got to extend the guy think about why you brought in pete DeBoer in the first place right you right. brought in pete DeBoer because you looked at the sharks you said wow this team is consistently successful he keeps he is a better option for us than Gerard Gallant, which remains to be seen still, considering yes. uh, the Rangers are in the playoffs right now and the Golden Knights aren't. But ultimately, can Robin Leonard and Pete DeBoer coexist? 
they absolutely can and they have to for this team to be at its best. So if you're the Golden Knights right now, Pete DeBoer should have a two-year contract extension. Add two years to what he already had. Bring him back. Let him run it back with a roster that looks a little more like the roster you were trying to give him in the first place. And look, if it doesn't go well next year, then what's the harm? It's just money to Bill Foley when it comes to coaches. He's not going to care about paying off a coach if you don't like the results next year with a healthier roster and a better, hopefully, Robin Leonard for the Golden Knights because I, and I think this was one of the smartest things uh, that, that you could have brought up when we were discussing this before the show. Uh, Robin Leonard coming off this surgery with a reasonably sized contract ain't going to get moved all that easily. No, he's not. And w- I'm, I'm hearing from people who've talked to people inside that this could be a long recovery process. Let's say it is six months and you're not going to have any leverage anyway. He makes $5 million a year coming off an injury like that, obviously there'd be medicals involved in terms of checking him out. So I think I think they're going to have him, uh, for better or worse, in terms of their minds. And I think Pete DeBoer should and will be the coach. George McPhee was on a podcast recently. I can't believe he actually spoke. He certainly doesn't do it to local media. Um, and he was asked, could they coexist? And his answer was, yes, people get over it. Now, to me, that means Pete DeBoer is coming back as coach. If you say, yes, people get over it, and that's what you're saying right now, people get over it, they're all professionals, and if coexisting means you have the best goalie in your mind to win games and to get you the playoffs and maybe a deep playoff run, then you put a lot of stuff you know, to the side. This was DeBoer at the end of the season. It shouldn't be a surprise that there's friction at the end of a tough season between coaches and players or even players and players. Everyone's frustrated. Everyone's pushing. There's lots of conversations that are down the stretch in those situations, and you're pushing people to max amount because we need. This is something that's unique to us or to our group or Robin that excuse me that's not unique to us or our group or Robin Leonard, uh, Pete DeBoer. And again, I think that's a great quote because I don't think people realize, especially like at the end of a tough season with all those injuries, not making the playoffs, coming that close to the playoffs, even though they had all those injuries, they're in it to the final week. There had to be frustrations. Um, Patch Reddy didn't hide his feelings. He rarely does, which is great for what you and I do. He talked about the frustrations. He talked about things that might have led to guys in the room not being the happiest in the world. But when George McPhee goes on there and says, yes, people get over it, I'm hoping that's a sign that this decision has already been made and he's coming back as the coach. Now, I don't know if that's what it means, but I don't know if he would have go that far if it wasn't. Well, Ed, what I don't understand, and I know you've kind of alluded to this already, is what purpose does it serve for the Golden Knights not to tell people who the coach is? I don't understand what they're doing here. I don't understand because the message that you're sending to us, you're leaving us to fill in the void. You're leaving talking head yokels like you and me to be the ones to say, well, they must be waiting to see who's going to get fired next. They must be waiting to see if they can get Barry Trotz. Oh, by the way, just a quick aside on the Barry Trotz Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Barry Trotz. If you think the Vegas Golden Knights fans stopped showing up this year, Wait until every game is a 2-1 dump and chase grinded out affair Mm -hmm. under Barry Trotz. Even when they win, the fans won't be showing up because it's an ugly style of hockey. It's an effective style of hockey. But when Barry Trotz is playing his system to his best, it is a grinded out low scoring game that I don't think anybody truly wants to see here in Vegas. And so I don't understand at all why Unless there is some sort of holdup in the contract negotiations, unless they're trying to come to the right number on this and they're just going to let it sit for a little while and hope that because the playoffs are going on, nobody's paying attention. Newsflash, we are. 
then that's the only thing that I think should be holding up the Golden Knights, bringing back Pete DeBoer. And right now, look, Robin Leonard last year, when he was healthy, wasn't great. And obviously proved to be much more of a distraction than I think anyone would have preferred, right? Whether it's deleting the Twitter, going after Elaine Vigneault, uh, whatever it might be with Robin Leonard. I, I don't think last season looked anything like anyone would prefer. And of course, we don't know from Robin Leonard because even though he was out there getting his message out through friends like Darren Ravel on social media, he didn't do a postseason media availability. Right. So we don't really know what, what Robin Leonard thinks. Uh, so I think as much as we talk about Pete DeBoer, some of this is incumbent upon Robin Leonard, too, as the one with the longer contract here to get out there and tell us, hey, I, I, I'm a professional. I'm going to make this work. What we, what do you think it would take? Uh, is it Adam, is it uh, just winning? Is it just uh, not being as injured as they were and losing all these man games? Is it just them being able to be professionals, even though they don't agree on everything? What would it take for these fences to be mended the most? Give me the one thing that you need, that you think needs to be the fences mended. If, in fact, and that's the thing, because of what he said at the end of the season, we're just assuming there's all this friction between them. That's We don't really know. That's In hockey, with the injuries and what they don't tell us, we don't know as much as we think we do sometimes. So what's a main point to you that these fences could be mended quickly when when he's healthy, by the way, let's say he's out six months. I mean, Logan Thompson is going to start the year as a number one goalie anyway, and this might not even be a storyline, but is it just winning? Is it just, you know, him coming back and winning and then everything's fine? It's going to cure a lot, isn't it? Yep. It's, it's going to do a wonders for the Golden Knights if they open up 5-0 and next year and nobody's talking about any of this anymore. But the problem is you don't know that. They might very well get scheduled to play the Avalanche three times in the first five games next year, and all of a sudden we're talking about what's wrong with the Golden Knights when they're one and four. And part of that, when you say we don't know, that's that's on the NHL, that's on the Golden Knights. Uh, we didn't know that Jack Eichel played the last six weeks of the season with a broken thumb. That's true. Until George McPhee put it last, out there on a podcast. We didn't know last year uh, Martinez had a broken foot during the playoffs. Exactly, man. So you can't. You can't ask us for the benefit of the doubt when all you give us is doubt. So uh, when it comes to the Golden Knights and can they get over whatever they need to get over, I think they can. And I, I again, with the man games, I point back to the uh, I point back to the Sinmin article uh, about a week or so ago mm -hmm. that said part of the man games thing was by design. I'm not willing to give them credit for 500 lost man right. games. It's more like 300 effectively so i think you get everybody back in the locker room you give them four months to go chill by a lake in canada they all come back together and by the time they get back together we all look at it and say okay guys obviously last year needs to get flushed let's all get this together you're right the single biggest thing that could get this cured would be a few wins to start the year all right off and running we're going to be on the pete DeBoer watch we think he's probably back we're going to ask darren millard what he thinks at 8 30 when we come back speaking about flushing it hey golden state we're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Tickets coming up to the Steve Miller Band and the Doobie Brothers. Stay with us for that. Uh, so we'll get some tickets given away in just a bit. We'll get to flushing it with the Golden State Warriors soon. First, I wanted to ask you, Adam, uh, Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets, came out yesterday and talked about Kyrie Irving's future. Uh, thought it was interesting, some of his comments, going to read them here and want your reaction. We need people that want to be here. They're selfless. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And there's an objective and there's a goal and stake here. And in order to do that, 
we're going to need availability from everyone. Direct shot at him? Well, Ed, he said it wasn't a direct shot at Kyrie. He said that everybody needs to be able to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure he's talking about all of the players this year who weren't available for non-selfless reasons. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm I'm counting on my hand what the, how many that was. Yeah, um, I mean, that's amazing. Another thing he said, it's a team sport and you need everybody on the court. Uh we saw this year Kevin missed 27 games with injury and Kyrie being out half the season that hurts. Uh, we, for roster building standpoint, that's not what we planned for. Um, he wants people who wants to, who love ball and who want to be there. Let me ask you something about Kyrie. Well, one, I assume you think he picks up the player option. Um, uh, he, I think it's over thirty million dollars a year. Um, are we just now learning how upset they were at the COVID stand? Is this something you wait till the end of the year to really go after him for the COVID stand and during the year? Um, not say as much, and I think next year it won't be an issue. I don't think it was an issue at the end of the year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, are we just now learning how upset they were with his COVID stand? You know what, Ed? The Nets have been opportunistic and craven about this all the way along, and they're just going to keep riding the public wave, right? When they said that Kyrie couldn't play, when they said, you go away from us with your non-shot self, they were basically with the rest of society, right? Like we were still at a point at that early start of the season when everybody was looking at it and saying, yeah, you know, like we we need to have serious rules here. We need to enforce the rules. And by the time that they softened on Kyrie and they're like, well, everyone's hurt and we really need Kyrie. And even though the virus is still a thing, uh, you can be around, you can come back. We're going to lobby the city to, to uh, loosen the rules so that, you can come back. They were kind of riding the public wave, which was sort of like, all right, we're done with all the mandates. Like, we don't want to do this anymore. And so here they are again, right? Here they are again. Everyone's upset at Kyrie because he basically screwed the chances of this team for the better part of the year. He led to the James Harden trade, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, of course they're going to jump onto it. But you know what? It's not like we didn't know that Kyrie Irving was self-centered. He's been self-centered at every spot along the way. There's nothing new here. So to come out and give vague quotes at this point rings a little hollow to me because you know what? You're the ones who signed the contract. You're the ones who are now stuck with a guy who talks about co-managing with the owner. I mean, look, Kyrie Irving is a lost cause, and he doesn't care. And you know what? I don't care. So I don't want to pay any more attention to the guy than we have to, but yet he has this player option that he hasn't picked up. And if he doesn't pick it up, he's going to become one of the most coveted free agents on the market because we can't avoid him. That's the stuff that bugs me. You're exactly right. Hit it on the head. He would be so coveted out there because he's so good. And he went through all this nonsense this year and did what he did to that team. And you're exactly right. Teams would be lining up for him. If Antonio Brown has had a market all these years, Kyrie Irving will have a market. And and Kyrie Irving will be a coveted free agent, whether he should be or not. So, yeah, I it, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch because, you know, I I want to see what we can do when we put together a team like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Right. And, right. and instead, we got eighteen games of it. Uh, want your thoughts really quick? Flush it one thirty four ninety five Golden State. I I I think the TNT show is great, and the, Barkley has said something the last. And, uh, you know, I, I don't agree with everything he says, but 
It, do you get the feeling uh, they just overthought these guys and didn't think much of them? And it seems like sometimes, now last night, Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay barely played, so that's going to do well for them, I think, in game six when they come back. They're all in the 25-minute range because it was such a blowout, down 55 at some point. Did you get the point, especially in maybe game five, that they were out there just scrimmaging? I, I, you watch them, some of the, the lazy passes and the turnovers, turnovers, I mean, everything killed them last night. But I don't know how seriously they've taken these guys. And do you think they're in trouble in six? I, I actually think they go home and win. But they play like this the next round. I don't care how you know they're building this other group of death lineup. Um, they're going to be in trouble. What, what's been your take on these guys, even though they're up 3-2? First of all, it shouldn't be up three uh, two. Right. The Grizzlies blew game, game four at game the four, end, right? Me. Yeah, I mean the, the the Grizzlies let game four go at the end, and they just didn't know how to win without John Morant there. And so now we look at it and say, I think both Barkley and Shaq were right last night. Barkley said this is not a championship effort for the Golden State Warriors, and they're overlooking these guys. It's right. Shaq came out and said, but they're going to go home and win by 30. Mm -hmm. And I think, actually, I do think they are. I think this is going to be a, a, a game where the Warriors go home, maybe not win by 30, but win handily. Yes. But, Ed, this is the ultimate test of can you flip the switch because the Warriors are trying to do it. The Warriors are trying to say, been there, done that. Every one of our core knows how to win when they have to win. Uh but, man, the last two games have not been pretty for Golden State at all. They really did seem to think that no John Morant meant no chance for the Grizzlies. Please tell me that my theory, let's say that I, I want them to go home and thirty and win by 30 for one reason, that it supports the theory that momentum does not exist. And we oh. got to I, I tell Darren Millard, look at the Toronto series and the Lightning series in the NHL. Just back and forth. I just don't think it exists. That's why I want Golden State to go home and win by 30, just to, just to promote that theory that it does not exist. I mean, look, when you talk to me and to my analytics little brother, Tyler, yes. like, we're both going to tell you momentum ain't a real thing. Love it. All right, we'll, we'll get to Milwaukee in the uh, front page. But coming up next, speaking of the NBA, there's no one better on it. JVT, John Van Tobel joins us next. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas featuring Adam Candy. Follow Mutt. Twitter at me JVT. It's Jonathan Von Tobel. You can hear him on Beeson, the senior NBA analyst. No one knows the league better. Hey, John, how are you? Oh, good, guys. You know, postseason's been fun. It's been uh, interesting. Has not disappointed. I will say that. Yeah. Okay. But we're coming back with Sean Marks, the GM, talking about Kyrie. Before we get to the games and what happened last night and what's going to happen tonight, shot at him, um, warning him. Or even though he has a player option, I don't know how much you can warn the guy. Um, what did you make of this? Because Adam and I are talking beforehand, and obviously you can say more after the season than you do you know, during the season. You just want to play and win during the season. But those comments I thought were pretty pointed at him of what they really felt. Yeah, I think they're just truthful, right? Like we just we need guys to be available. And that doesn't also just speak to Kyrie Irving, although I think a lot of people focus on that because it is true. It's the strongest degree about Kyrie Irving. But Kevin Durant also wasn't available too, right? It was because of his health. He missed a lot of games for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Joe Harris missed a lot of games for the Brooklyn Nets. Availability was one of the biggest problems for Brooklyn this season. So I think it's a, to, to a degree, it's just about the entire team and the problems that they face throughout this entire regular season. But Kyrie Irving, of course, is at the front end of it. And actually, I mean, Kyrie Irving did, I think it was a couple of weeks ago also, right after they got eliminated, pointed out to a certain extent uh, that he needs to be available. 
for the Brooklyn Nets, too. So I don't know if it's really like a pointed shot at Kyrie Irving or if it's Sean Marks just kind of pointing out the obvious, like, yeah, like we need our guys to be available. I think we'll be a pretty good team if that's the case. I mean, just think about this team. And by the way, we wouldn't even mention Ben Simmons who they traded for who wasn't available, right? So if you put this team together and you're talking about Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Joe Harris, among the other pieces that they have concurrently add to Curry, all that stuff, it's a pretty good team. So I think it's more about just the truthful nature of how the Brooklyn Nets season went at this point. So we look at where the East is right now, John, after last night with the Milwaukee-Boston game. And the popular narrative that's been out there uh, since last night is you're going to have to take the championship away from the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, to that end, though, there were a number of plays down the stretch where Boston basically needs to make one more play to win that game. So to me, it feels like the idea that, that Boston is done is not quite right. No, I would agree with that, Adam. And I think, too, I mean, if you're if you're looking like somewhere to see what, what went wrong last night, I mean, I think Emu Yudoka's got to look at the mirror. Marcus Smart should not be your closer. Marcus Smart should not have the ball in his hands in the final two games of a of that contest, right? It's the biggest game of the postseason. You, you can take a 3-2 series lead on your home court and go back to Milwaukee with an attempt to close this thing out. And instead, the last two clutch possessions, it's Marcus Smart who's got the ball in his hands, and it's not Jason Tatum, who, by the way, on the play in which Marcus Smart was stripped, was streaking up the right sideline unaccounted for by the Milwaukee Bucks, who could have gotten a really good look at an attempt at the end of that game. So I, I agree with you. You know, the, the Milwaukee Bucks throughout the entire course of this series have been held down offensively by this Boston Celtics defense. Robert Williams or not, the Celtics have been very good defensively. And I think that you need to, if you're Boston, really look at the way you handled some of these clutch situations, especially in this game, and wonder how you did it and tweak that. Because remember, too, part of the reason why Boston got off to that 18-21 and 21 start and they were really bad was because they broke down in clutch situations. They resulted to isolation shots, jump shots, not trying to get to the four foot, within four feet of the basket, and they were terrible in fourth quarters of games. Hell, I remember specifically one of the bets that I lost throughout the regular, during the regular season, one of many, uh, was a New York Knicks game right before the turnaround where they were up by, I think it was 18 points uh, right, after the, uh, right after the halftime break. They blew that, and they lost on an R.J. Barrett three. I'm sure you remember that very well, Candy. So, like, that, that, those are the things that kind of worried you, but I think Yudoka's got to look at himself and realize we got to tweak what we're doing here because Marcus Smart should not be closing out games for us. We're good enough defensively, and we have an all-NBA type of talent, Jason Tatum. He has to have the ball in his hands, not Marcus Smart. I know some of these uh, have chances to go to seven, John, but don't we need seven from this one more than any? Oh, yeah, because like, out of all these, Ed, like, this has been like on a consistent, especially these last like three games, these have been awesome games. Like, these have been really tightly contested games. Uh, these have gone down to the wire. Uh, these two teams, I don't know if they don't like each other, but they just match up so well with each other. They're physical. You got Giannis talking smack and setting up Al Horford the other night. Like, this has been, I think, you know, one of those series where it paid off. Like, this is every single game has been one where I'm sitting there in the fourth quarter watching on the edge of your seat whether it's a bet or not and just wondering what's going to happen down the stretch of that game. So I would say yes, absolutely. I would love a Game 7 because the drama that that type of game would bring with one of the best players in the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and a young and up-and-coming star in Jason Tatum going off against one another, oh, it would be fantastic. I completely agree. We might get seven out of the Grizzlies and the Warriors. I don't think we're going to get seven out of the Grizzlies and the Warriors. We know that they can flip the switch, John. We've seen them do it enough times in Golden State. But how much fire are they playing with here with this Grizzlies team? 
Oh, a bunch because the Grizzlies don't quit. Like the, like the Grizzlies are a team that they're young, uh, they are talented, they're relatively deep, but they just play freaking hard, man. Like it's why they were the second seed uh, in the Western Conference. It's why the Warriors are not the ones with home court in this series coming into it. It is because Memphis has done a brilliant job in terms of just effort consistently, and I don't think there was any more better personification of that than last time. The Warriors have this thing where they are just lackadaisical, and they come out, and they'll turn. And like, look at the, some of the turnovers from last night, guys. It's throwing the ball out of bounds. Mm-hmm. It's lazily trying to throw like a ball down to the post. It's mm-hmm. all these things that are just unforced, and it's just horrendous. And you can't – like, I think you're playing with fire because this Grizzlies team, I'm tired of the narrative that they're better without John Moran. They're not as a whole. But they are better defensively without John Moran. And you're seeing the issues that you have there. Like, that's a really big problem. So I would say yes. Like, it, it's great that you're dancing to right to the song last night and you look like it doesn't bother you, but you were lucky to get by in game four. They led the entire way and they blew it because their offense was so ineffective. And then they come out yesterday and absolutely smoke you. Like, the, to me, you're absolutely playing with fire because this team's not going anywhere. They have confidence, even without John Moran. Barkley made a good point, I thought, and Adam and I were talking about it earlier. It and I don't know why, and maybe they're just you know it's in their heads that they're that much better. It looks like they're just scrimmaging at points. Yep. They, 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 this is just a scrimmage to them that the, the, the focus is not there at all. Yeah, I no, I agree, and I think he even made another point last night on the broadcast that where it was like it was at halftime where he's like, when you're turning the ball over this much and you're getting outworked on the glass by this degree. Like, that's not, like, a talent discrepancy. That's just you not caring, right? That's just you sitting back and going, ah, we got Steph Curry, we got Clay Thompson. Like, we'll be fine. We could bust out of this at any point. And that was not the case at any point last night. And, sure, like, we could talk about, hey, man, they're going to go back home and play better. But keep in mind, while game three, they set historical records uh, in terms of field goal percentage in a single game and a, and a true shooting percentage, it was the second-best march we've ever seen in an NBA postseason game ever in the history of the league. Right. Uh, game four did not go like that, right? So, like, you, you can't, I think, just rely on this. And keep in mind, for the series as a whole, you're talking about this team really struggling offensively throughout this entire thing in the first two games of this series in Memphis. They had an offensive rating of 106. You go back to this last game, 84.8, game four, which they won, but under a point per possession. They haven't been good in this series offensively in any way, shape, or form. So, like, I agree. Like, they look lazy, and I guess because you got the two guys that you're going to be, you feel like you're going to be fine, but you haven't found any consistency on offense. And we just saw what happened in game four. It is not a given that you're going to go back home and shoot the lights out. All right, John, let's get ready for tonight and the uh, potential betting opportunities here on these games. Uh, Looking at a a two-and-a-half spread on Philly and Miami, two for the Suns uh, against Dallas, uh, two of seven-and-a-half first game, 214 in the second game. What you got? Uh, So I was looking, you know, I'm I'm writing them up, uh, these write-ups right now, Adam, and it's funny, so I was like, I'm doing the Miami Heat-Philly game right now, for example, and... Like, if you just go by what this series has shown us, the Heat are going to come out, shoot terribly, they're going to lose the thing, they're going to go back home and win Game 7. Like, this entire round has been about home teams. And again here, like, these two series have been such a great example of it. If you look, for example, Miami, uh, on wide-open attempts from three-point range, that's defender six feet or farther away. Uh, Miami, 22.2% in the two games in Philadelphia, 47.5% in the three games at home. Philly, the, uh, the inverse of that, shooting 21.2% on wide-open attempts in Miami, but 40.9% at home. And that's the same thing with the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns on the road in those two games against Dallas, you looked at it and you saw them shoot less than 40% on mid-range attempts. That's their bread and butter. It's what they do. But in the games at home, 
60% on long twos alone, not even just mid-range shots, like one of the most inefficient shots you could take. Like these two series tonight have been home court uh, magnified to a, a massive degree. So if you want to go down that trend, it would lead you to the home teams. But I'll say this, the one side I think I would ultimately look at is, is Dallas catching the points tonight. I think when you look at the Mavericks and their capabilities, you look at the shot quality metrics from this last game that they lost in Phoenix, they actually probably should have covered that game if those shots go down at a regular rate, you know, like a league average in terms of shooting percentage on the quality of shots that they took, as opposed to what happened in that game. They are much better than what they showed offensively. They have been the more consistent offensive team throughout this series. And you're talking about catching about two at home against the Phoenix Suns. We saw the market get a little randy with the Phoenix Suns over the weekend, right? They closed three in Dallas in game four, ultimately lost, never came close to covering. I think the market's just a little out of whack with how they've been power rating Phoenix next to Dallas, and I think that that's the side I would go to here tonight. John, I want to ask you one more question about the Heat because there's yeah. just this perception that they were the one seed, but there's no way they can win it. If Boston, excuse me, if Milwaukee, Boston winner comes out and they struggle in these, you know, every other games offensively, even though they can play defense, is Miami hot there to win that series? Can they actually beat one of those teams? Because the perception I hear all the time is, well, they just can't. They're just not as good as those teams. The thing that worries me about Miami, because I think they're good, they're as good as those teams at defensively. I think they stack up just as equally on the defensive end of the floor against those teams um, on that end of the floor. But but we'll pro- but my problem with Miami is if you look at them throughout the postseason and throughout the year as well, but their half court offense at times has been really poor. It has been ineffective. And if you look at like right now in the playoffs, if you look at an offensive rating for the Miami Heat. Miami, we're talking about an offensive rating of 94.3. You know, that's about average to below average. They have struggled a lot in that area of the floor, and I think that's ultimately what's going to separate them in a series against Miami or a series against Milwaukee. Both of those teams can be very effective in half-court settings. Both of those teams have dominant players that can score in isolation like Giannis Antetokounmpo or Jason Tatum, but they also have role players that have shown a little bit more consistency than what the Miami Heat have been able to throw out there. And I think that, to me, is going to make the difference. I think they can totally win the series against them. I don't think it's a very wide gap between them. But to me, what makes the difference, which is why like, if you're telling me order those three, one, two, three, Miami would probably come in third for me, it's because they have consistently shown some issues in half-court settings on offense that have made the difference in some of these games. In the Atlanta series, their half-court offense led them to losing a game against the Atlanta uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Through the first three or four games of this series against Philadelphia 76ers, they struggled in half-court settings. And even in those first two games, they did so, right? And that's against a Philadelphia 76ers team without Joel Embiid on the floor. So, to me, that's, I think, what kind of holds Miami back from being the, if you want to call it the respected team, or the team that is not a favorite to make it out of the Eastern Conference, because that part of their offense has consistently been inconsistent. Perfect stuff there as usual. It's John Von Tobo. Follow him on Twitter at me, JVT. Listen to him on Vison, the senior NBA analyst. Nobody knows the league better. John, we appreciate it as always. Thanks, guys. You got your picks for tonight? Oh, boy. I, there's no way I'm going against John. Come on. <laughs> I know. Like... All right. When we come back, we'll continue on. It's Ed. Uh, Adam Candy, Tyler's off today, Jared here on the show. But remember, we've got uh, some tickets to concerts coming up. We'll do that in the uh, 45 hour at 8 and 9. Back after this. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Back at it. Thanks again to JVT. Man, he's good on the NBA. Knows his stuff. Adam's not going to vote a bet against him tonight. So you heard the the lines and you heard where JVT's going. How about this this morning? Boy. I'll tell you what, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, they really are into this New England stuff, aren't they? Jarrett Stidham 
has been acquired from the Patriots and a seventh rounder in 2023 for a sixth rounder in 2023. Wasn't Jared Stidham once like the next best thing, Adam Candy? Wasn't he kind of the guy and that everyone expected Jared Stidham to be the guy? Now, now he's going to be a Raider and uh, deal with Nick Mullins or Garrett Gilbert to back up the, uh, Derek Carr. Man, we're going to have so much fun trying to figure out who a quarterback who's never going to play is going to be. <laughs> I know, <right>? exactly. <laughs> it's just going to be a blast figuring out who's going to back up Derek Carr. Um, it's fine. Uh, you want to do a pick swap to get your guy in here, and maybe you're just, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe you're just that in love with Jared Stidham that it's worth the value between a sixth and seventh round pick. I don't see why they make the trade, but whatever uh in the end yes jared stidham once was gonna be the next big thing much the same as uh jimmy g and his nona were yeah um once again maybe you know and maybe they didn't see the uh one game that nick mullins had against the raiders way back when and uh they haven't seen tape of that but they've brought another guy in so now you have stidham like i said mullins and garrett gilbert to try to, as Adam said, be the guy who never plays but gets to hold the clipboard like Marcus Mariota did. I don't even know if you can run the packages for Stidham like uh, you did for Mariota, who was very big and very fast. Oh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, let's let's actually keep four quarterbacks on the roster and just activate whichever one's going to do the running package <laughs> every week. That'd be fun. Now we thought the receivers were set, but they signed uh, Jaguars uh, wide receiver Jets and Jaguars former receiver Keelan Cole one year deal yesterday began his career in Jacksonville after joining the team as an undrafted free agent. Jets last year caught 28 passes for 449. He plays mostly in the slot. We know who's in the slot for the Raiders. You surprising they're continuing to add depth. I I keep I keep looking for these headlines waiting for them to have uh, any kind of offensive lineman. Now they are going to have they're going to clear space uh in June with um Littleton and Nassib's contracts. But they keep adding uh, offensive players that do not include offensive linemen. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, ahead of myself and that they're going to do this, but uh, I guess this just seems like a depth guy. Ahead of yourself? You're not <laughs> ahead of yourself. You're nowhere near ahead of yourself. You, Ed Graney, understand that you need five guys at minimum who can block the other team if you want to have any chance of winning. That's my favorite part. I have a tweet deck column set up for Raider stuff and despite all of my best efforts at filtering out really you know delusional Raider fans still occasionally some of them sneak in there and you see them listing out the offense quarterback Derek Carr wide receiver Devontae Adams there's not a single offensive lineman listed in there no, on exactly <laughs> what they're excited about for uh for that team. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, too, am surprised that they're going to try to get by this year with all of these weapons and what one offensive lineman you go into the season knowing you can trust. What happened? Uh, you're going to know him well. Uh, they couldn't trade James Bradbury, the Giants, uh, so they walk away from him. Now, again, uh, maybe he just couldn't come to terms on a long term deal. Is this an automatic that you go after him? Is this an automatic you've already you've already called him and said, what do you want and how can we do this when the money comes available in June? I guarantee Dave Ziegler already had trade discussions with Joe Shane and the Giants okay. front office. When this, this is was, going on. Okay. Yeah, no no question. I mean, because, because the Raiders need him. Um, y you still really have not effectively replaced Casey Hayward from last year. James Bradbury would do a good job of that. And the situation in New York is that, look, I don't get to yell about Dave Gettleman often anymore because <laughs> thank god he's gone but this is the giants trying to clean up the salary cap hell that dave gettleman left them in james bradbury had a cap number near 22 million dollars this year which for a 
theoretically top-end cornerback isn't the worst. The problem is you have an interior defensive lineman in Leonard Williams who has a $28 million cap number this year, and you're carrying around the rotting corpse of Kenny Galladay for $18 million a year. So when you have those two contracts to deal with, then there's no more room for James Bradbury because they can't even sign their rookie class right now. So Bradbury had an amazing 2020. He had a so-so 2021. That kind of fits the Casey Hayward profile from when he came over from the Chargers. So it would make a lot of sense, but they're going to have a lot of competition for him as well. You want to give me a real quick pick on where you think they're going to finish? Uh, Athletic has ranked them 13th, uh, and uh, I've got them last. Bischoff's got them third. He's got Denver last. Uh, even though you know the odds, Denver's Bischoff's uh, insane. Denver's insane. traded or Denver's favorite here. I don't understand that. But uh, you want to give me a quick call on in uh, uh, ten seconds? Where yeah, you uh, yeah. Ra- Raiders go eight and nine. Oh, really? Yeah. The, right. t- really, really tough schedule. Really tough division and uh, no offensive line. Speaking of schedule, we'll get to that. It's released tonight. Hey, we're excited.